Innes Forgettance is a folk fantasy podcast set in an alternate Appalachia and faraway Celtic fort. You can help support me and this story by sharing it with your friends, posting on social media, or by clicking the link in the description to buy me a coffee. I'm glad you joined me this week, and stay safe out there in the woods. Previously on the Innes Forgettance, the Hollis family, except for Mama, attend the town corn shuckin, where villagers come together for a full day and night under lantern protection of corn shucking, music and dance, food and festivities. Colleen feels like Porter's presence ruins her chance at having a normal life, so Porter stays away and overhears gossip that maybe he isn't the only one who people believe is cursed by the never-seen. Porter in Inniscombe Dinner couldn't come fast enough. Porter stretched his legs and shook out his wrists, walking over to the barrel where everyone rinsed their hands before the noon meal. Even the water smelled like sweet corn— Some folks still shucked, but most milled about the dinner spread, loading up plates with buttered beans, boiled red potatoes, and pulled pork. Dry hands? Porter turned at the sound of the small voice. Little Winnie Bullwright, Rachel's youngest daughter and Twyla's twelve-year-old sister, held out a small bowl filled with wax-colored salve. But Porter's gaze went to her hands still stained with red clay. Been digging lately? He smiled. The precocious girl gave a cocky tilt of her head. Don't make fun. I'm not. You don't even know the things we found. I'm not making fun. He couldn't help smiling at the girl's nature, though. I'll prove it to you. Reaching into his pocket, he pulled out the rusted artifact, then raised his eyebrows as if to say, See? Winnie's blue eyes grew impossibly wide. She shoved the salve into his lap and snatched the object from his hands. It's like the others. Others, he said. She stepped closer, completely dropping the guarded demeanor she'd displayed a moment before. She held up the object pointing at the rusted, worn swirls on its face. 
Me and my friends, it's our favorite thing to do in the West Mountain Woods because of all the strange stuff we find. We tried the South Mountain and East Mountain and a little of the North Mountain, but we get the most from the West. You know Freddie Townsend found the handle of a sword? Really? Porter asked. She nodded. Do his parents know? She crossed her arms. No. We keep the stuff we find in the back of my family's chicken coop. That's what my family gets for making it my job to scoop out all the poopy hay all the time. Porter laughed. No one looks in there, and you better not tell. He shook his head and held up his palms. Funny thing is, she continued, everything we find has swirls like this on them. Axe blades, knife handles, a bracelet. She went on with her list, and Porter fought back laughter. At this rate, little Winnie Bullwright would have her own child army with all the rusted weaponry she was digging up. Before he realized it, she had grown quiet and was holding the circular object close to her face, studying it with intense scrutiny. I think it was a necklace, she said quietly. But whose? How'd it get there? He shrugged and she groaned. Uh, It's so annoying when you have questions and no one can help you. At that, he stifled a laugh, but she continued, Can I keep this? He shrugged again, and she pocketed the item. Well, I better go. Candy pulling's about to start. I should probably wash my hands. Probably, he said. She turned to go, but then turned around again, cocking her head as if he were an object buried in the West Mountain Woods. You don't seem cursed, she said. And you should smile more. You have a nice smile. Porter grinned. Thanks. Winnie ran inside, her mother snatching her by the shoulder and whispering in her ear, and Porter couldn't be certain if Rachel Bullwright was telling her daughter to walk like a young lady or not to talk to the town's cursed kid. He moved to the dinner spread. The dish slipped in his salve-slicked hands when he picked it up, and whispers caught his ear. As bad as Sarah Hollis, at least. Porter froze at the mention of his mother's name. Was that Bethany Ferguson's voice? Keeping his eyes on his plate, he mechanically scooped but tuned in to the nearby conversation. That isn't funny. The never seen won't that family something bad. That was Twyla. Porter fought the urge to look at her. But Lissy spoke next. Town Sands found their prize hand dead this morning. Don't you think it's connected? Her sister, Bethany, chimed in. What does Sarah Hollis do in that cabin anyway? Spin yarn and shed tears? I bought some from Mr. Hollis once, said Twyla. She and Colleen do good work. You aren't worried about taking something that she held in her hands? Lissy hissed. Should I be? said Twyla. About as worried as we should be that her can get to come to these events. Bethany! Lissy and Twyla hushed the girl, and Porter could feel the hair on the back of his neck prickle under their gaze. He chased beans around his plate with his fork, but dared not walk away. Finally, Twyla spoke soft. 
He held his breath, straining to hear. My daddy says not to judge. We use our lights and our fennel and trust that we're protected. Any curse on the Hollises is their business, but we can be friendly. Lissy sighed. Twyla, you soft-hearted soul. When Porter looked up, the girls were once again disappearing into the cabin. He plunked his plate and fork onto a crate, no longer hungry. Instead, a fresh current of determination surged to get to the bottom of things, to find answers, to make Mama better and exonerate their family. Straightening, he scanned the crowd, locking eyes with Great Aunt Nula. She smiled a grandmotherly smile, and he went to her, putting his birch twig between his teeth. Having a good time, Porter? He shrugged. Her blue eyes narrowed. Are you looking for someone? Mrs. Warren. White eyebrows arched. Davina's delivering Mrs. Eggleston of her fifth-born child. What's driving you, boy? He looked at her, the woman who held him as a child, rubbed his back and told him stories, the one who dried his tears while his mother cried her own. She looked so small now, so small, yet still so powerful. Mama, he answered, she cries because of me. Her blue eyes no longer twinkled. She pursed her lips and nodded. What do you want with the town's oldest midwife? He took a breath, held it, then puffed it out and looked at his feet. There's just so much I need to know. No one knows anything, remembers anything. He bit down on the twig, but his desperate emotions choked him. He shook his head sadly. Come on. Nula took his hand in her cold one and led him away from the crowd, over to a bale of hay. She sat and patted the space next to her, but Porter sat on the ground and put his plate next to him, no longer interested in eating. He flicked bits of leaves and straw from his dark pants. You know I don't like dwelling in the past. Honey, this is why. Her voice was firm, but her hand on his shoulder was soft. Look at you, Porter. You're trapped in the past. Trapped by the never seen because it's all you think about. The whole town fixates. Y'all give the never seen more power than they really have. Porter didn't look at her when he spoke. But Colleen says that every tear your mama cries, every word you can't speak is because the never seen are walling you in, cursing you, trying to corner and possess you. He hung his head. She ran thin fingers through his hair. Brown waves fell over his eyes. I know. Even I don't understand why the never seen pushes harder on one family over the next. But the past is done and gone. Can't be changed. You just have to keep going and work with what you got. And I'll tell you this much. Her voice cracked and wavered, and she stopped speaking. She rubbed his shoulder tentatively and sighed. When he turned to look at her, her gaze was as convoluted as the dye bath. She lifted his chin with her finger and said, 
I've watched your pa work himself near to death, trying to fix your mama, as though she were a piece of broken woodwork he made himself. In trying to save her spirit, son, he's almost lost his own. Now I can't change the past, but I know I don't want the same future for you. You look at me, Poda. She leveled with him, and no longer appeared as a soft grandmother figure, but a stately, powerful elder. Whether or not, this is the work of the Nevisine. I can't entirely say. But if you keep going this way, you'll be sapped of a spirit, and it'll be all your own doing. He jolted at the blow of her words. What? What on earth can I do? Live your life, not the life of the cursed kid of Inniscombe, not the life of a boy walled in by whispers, not a life built on fear. Your life. Stop giving the never seen in this town so much power over you. She looked at him, earnest, expectant, and for the first time in his life, he saw his great aunt the way the town saw her as the wise woman of Inniscombe. A promise, he said, but the words felt empty. Aunt Nula smiled. See, you're not just a pair of strong arms. You're a strong soul. If you stop preoccupying yourself with the unchangeable past, I believe you'll be a great leader in this town one day. Porter tried to let the warmth of her praise trickle over him, but his heart felt like dried-up, cracked clay, unable to soak up much of anything. Live as though he weren't cursed, she insisted. He took a deep breath and determined to try. Standing, he offered Aunt Nula his hand, just as Winnie Bullwright rushed up to them with Samuel Keller hobbling behind. Is it time for the candy pulling yet? Winnie panted. Hold tight, dear. Mr. Keller's voice was just as breathless, but from age instead of excitement. I need to speak with Miss Gregor. Winnie deflated, but Nula laid a protective hand on the girl's head and winked down at her. Oh, Mr. Keller, nothing's too important to get in the way of a candy pulling. Porter watched them go until they almost rounded the back of the cabin, Aunt Nula caught his eye once more and said, Have fun, you hear? The sun crested and began to set, and Porter shucked with determination, sitting straight and looking at others instead of only his hands. He listened to the interactions around him and laughed as openly as his vocal cords would allow. He forced himself to smile, to engage more than he ever had, even Colleen smiled at him sometimes, instead of watching him as though he might ruin her at any moment. It was a small reward, but it was enough. He soaked up the sight as eagerly as a wilting plant soaked up water in summer heat. Maybe this will work, he thought. The cabin's door opened and slammed. Twyla and her friends jaunted down to the shucking pile, squeezing in near Colleen and Floy. Porter studied his sister. She noticeably straightened and squared her shoulders, looking at the girls and welcoming them. She practiced just what Nula had described. Porter determined to as well. 
Twyla looked at Colleen and flashed a smile that was almost real, then searched the crowd until her eyes fell on Porter's. Every instinct told him to shrink back, to look down. Instead, he straightened and nodded to her. When she smiled at him, it went all the way to her warm brown eyes. He looked at the husk in his hand, hiding the relief rising in his chest. Maybe things could be better if he only tried to make it so. Will Seeley and his brothers took to their instruments once again, and after a few more tunes, Porter found himself tapping his foot to their rhythm while he shucked. Tad leaned forward, unsteady under the influence of whiskey. I think they got the hardest job today. He slurred as the young men fiddled a tune that moved faster than a bumblebee. Floy laughed. Will's got a river of sweat pouring down his face, and it's not even warm out. And who gave you the whiskey? Tad shrugged and raised a flask to his lips. Well, we didn't want my brother to get it, did we? The song ended, and everyone hooted and applauded. Porter clapped, too, then reached down without looking to grab another ear of corn, peeling back its rough husk. It's a red ear, shouted Tad. Oh no, not you. Floy rolled her eyes, but Tad insisted, not me, Porter. Porter looked down at the blood-red cob in his hands. You know what they say about finding the first red ear a corn. Tad drunkenly made smooching sounds. Heat coursed through Porter's arms and legs as everyone quieted. He almost flung the corn back onto the pile, but gripped it instead. This was his chance. Standing, he walked over to the other side of the shucking pile where Twyla stood. The closer he got, the wider her eyes grew. A small laugh escaped from him, and he let himself smile at her. With a shy shrug, he held up the corn. Her large doe eyes drifted toward it. Would, would you do me the, the... Her gaze snapped back onto his, her pupils dilated. Gathering her skirt in her fists, Twyla spun and ran toward the cabin, taking the porch steps in twos. The Seeley brothers halted their song as she hurried through the breezeway and into the room on the left, slamming the door behind her. Porter froze. The stunned silence of everyone around him throbbed in his ears. Dread inched over him as his eyes cut over to meet Colleen's. Glaring, she gave him the slightest shake of her head. He dropped the corn and charged away from the Cartwright cabin, snatching a light from the lantern circle before continuing up the road back toward home. The Innis Forgettance was written, narrated, and produced by me, Leah Noel, with special appearance by David Walker. The original song, Beware the Never Seen, was written, composed, and performed by Georgia musicians Miles Landrum and Lorelei. You can find links to more of their excellent music in the show notes.
Sound effects came from the kind folks at freesound.org. You can follow this podcast with behind the scenes and more on Instagram and TikTok at Leah with a pen. to fail.